Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. What do you think of when I say Miracle on the Hudson? It's one of those things everybody has a recollection of, and it's that plane in the water with the people on the wing, but you don't see the wing, so it appears as if they're standing on water. As someone who covered it out on the street, do you remember how cold it was? I do remember <laughs> how cold it was, yes. I do remember being bundled up and trying to move around with a very heavy jacket. And I, re I remember I got there, and the fire department was getting into a boat, firefighters, and I thought, like this split second, should I jump in with them? And, and go out. But at that point, I didn't know if people were still on the plane. Fortunately, I didn't jump in because I didn't know it. But the people had already been rescued. The Miracle on the Hudson. That's what we're talking about in this week's In Depth. I'm Tim Sheld with Peter Haskell. Peter, we've gotten the big boys to the table uh, we have Wayne Cabot and Steve Scott. Um, you covered it. Steve and Wayne were on the air at the time when, when it happened. And we thought, why not pull the curtain back on how it was covered and also talk about what it was? Because sometimes we have these news stories that have occurred. And as time goes on, we forget the details about it. And it was a pretty significant story in our, in our lifetime. And these guys really had an opportunity to assess and synthesize a lot of information and put it out to the public in a, in a really accurate, targeted, nice way. So as my dear friend John Sterling would say, this is Inside Radio. Wayne and Steve, this is Roll Call. So Hello. Hello. Checking in. Reporting Wayne, for duty. Wayne Cabot. Steve Scott. Peter Askell. Hello. No, I'm not Peter. No, you're, I'm you're, Peter. You're Here Peter. we are. So we've gathered this illustrious crew to take a trip down memory lane. This week marks the 11th anniversary of the Miracle on the Hudson crash. And I, I was saying to Peter before, um, I have a confession to make about we in the news business, we love anniversaries. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we really love the ones that have a good ending and, and, and there's no better... Uh, story to tell than this one. Uh, so the first thing I wanted to do, and the reason why I've gotten everybody in here together is because this is the crew, for the most part, uh, that brought the news to the folks in the metropolitan area. Steve and Wayne were the afternoon crew on the air when the uh, when the crash happened. Uh, and 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 I thought it, was, uh, it would be a cool trip down memory lane to pull the curtain back to talk about, A, a big story and how it unfolded, uh, and B, um, you know, how we operate, how crazy it is. We always talk about the, the best stories we tell or when the mics are off. Well, we're sort of doing a news on the rocks without drinking. How's that? Oh, maybe you're not drinking. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, one difference, I'm looking at the yeah. Hudson right now. Yeah. I have a beautiful view where I'm standing of the Hudson River on a January day, whereas before we did not have a direct eye-on view because we were up there at the broadcast center. So do you remember, I had an office outside the newsroom, and I actually could see a sliver of the Hudson River. 
And the first word that we got about it was some phone calls to the newsroom that said there was a plane in the Hudson. And uh, and I said, yeah, right. You know, I didn't think so. And then we got another call and then another call and then another call. And, uh, and then we uh, flipped the camera on in the newsroom and we saw the plane in the water. We're going to get to that. But the first thing I want to do quickly is to remind people that the miracle on the Hudson was about a U.S. Airways flight, 1549. This is January 15th, 2009, five days before the inauguration of Barack Obama. Uh, it was an Airbus A320. It was going from LaGuardia to Charlotte. It was then going to head to Seattle, Tacoma International. The pilot, who remembers his name? Sully. Chesley. Sullenberger, 57-year-old former fighter pilot that uh, has since become uh, very famous for it. Do you remember the first officer's name? Scott Skiles. Jeffrey. Jeffrey. Oh, Scott Skiles. He played basketball. Oh. oh, Jeffrey Skiles. 150 passengers on board, three flight attendants. Uh, it was cleared for takeoff at, uh, at 324, as I said. Three minutes later, the plane, as it's ascending, struck a flock of geese at about 2,800 feet. There were so many geese in the flock that it obscured the entire front windshield of the plane for the pilots. It went dark uh, for them. Uh, people on the plane uh, recalled hearing pops, and people who out, uh, could see out the window and see the engine saw pops of fire, uh, which were the geese getting into the engines. The engines went dead silent and stopped and stopped operating. Um, at that point, and it was Skiles who was at the control. Skiles was flying the plane, and all of a sudden, Sully sees what's happening, and he takes control, and they start doing the emergency preparedness. And this is the first thing I want to uh, do, is let us all go back and listen to what it sounded like those next few seconds. Cactus 1539 hit first, returning back towards LaGuardia. Okay, uh, you need to return to LaGuardia. Turn left, heading up uh, 220. 220. Tire, stop your departure. He's got emergency returning. It's 1529. He, he uh, bird strike. He lost all engine. He lost the thrust in the engines. He's returning immediately. Cactus 1529. Which engines? He lost thrust in both engines. He said. Got it. Cactus 1529. If we can get it for you. Do you want to try to land runway 13? We're unable. We may end up in the Hudson. All right, Cactus 1549. It's gonna be left traffic to runway 31. Unable. Okay. What do you need to land? Cactus 1549, runway 4 is available if you want to make left traffic to runway 4. Hey, the echo field. Sure uh, what's over to our right? Anything in New Jersey? Maybe Teterboro? Okay, yeah, off your right side is Teterboro Airport. Do you want to try to go to Teterboro? Yes. Teterboro, uh, Empire. Actually, LaGuardia departure guy, emergency inbound. Hey, go ahead. Cactus 1529 over the George Washington Bridge wants to go to the airport right now. Wants to go to our airport. Check. Does he need assistance? Uh, yes. He, uh, it was a bird strike. Can I get him in for uh, runway 1? Runway 1. That's good. Cactus 1529, turn right 280. You can land runway right. 1 at Teterboro. We can't do it. Okay. Which runway would you like at Teterboro? We're going to be in the Hudson. I'm, I'm sorry. Say again, Cactus. Cactus 1549, radar contact is lost. You also got Newark Airport off your 2 o'clock in about 7 miles. Eagle 5, 4718, turn left bank 210. 210, uh, 4718. I don't know, I think he said he was going to the Hudson. Okay, he's on the Hudson River. He's just about a mile and a half north of the Lincoln Tunnel. Last sighted below 900 feet. We still got a target on him, but he looks like he's low level. You get anybody, you send him right over to the Lincoln Tunnel. We had a Cactus Airbus go down in the water. 
Wow, huh? Wow. I, I don't, yeah. I've never heard that in its entirety without people talking all over it. Wow. wow. Very dramatic. And yeah. these guys were so calm. It really is more remarkable and miraculous than ever if he tried to go to LaGuardia and couldn't make it, if he tried to go to Teterboro and couldn't make it. You think about the, the population centers. This yeah. is not a pasture. These are two very densely populated areas. Right. And the potential for catastrophe was great. And, and I think uh, uh, Captain Sullivan recognized that right away. And, you know, he had to make the decision. I mean, he, he's like a quarterback at the line of scrimmage looking over the, uh, the defense and going through his options. And he quickly decided that the option of trying to make it to uh, back to LaGuardia, to Teterboro, certainly not Newark, it just wasn't going to work. And, uh, and ditching in the Hudson was going to be the best way to go. Again, I'm going to make it kind of like the, the quarterback analogy. Sully is looking over the defense, and one of the things he sees is the Hudson River. Now, remember, it's January 15th, so you don't have a lot of pleasure craft out there in the middle of the winter. And uh, there were no uh, ocean liners uh, coming into port or anything like that. And, and he sees that really as his best bet as far as a, a, a clear landing path. That was his best option. It was it was a large surface that yeah. you're not going to find really any place else in this area unless you want to go to the turnpike, which is not a great idea right. either. So you think he saw that and said, "Here's my big watery runway," or do you think he had no options at that point in his mind? Is like, I just got to take whatever chance I can yeah, get. No, this I, is it. I, I think it's him, a ladder. Yeah. yeah, I think we've heard him say that. That he also worried about going over a, a populated area of Bergen County, heading to Teterboro as an option, and knew he he wouldn't have been able to make it because. When the plane started hitting the birds, it lost both engines, and it was uh, it what it wasn't decelerating quickly, but it was right. it had become a very heavy glider at that point. Yeah, right? I can tell you as, as a, a private pilot myself mm -hmm. that there is a what they call a glide slope for every fixed wing aircraft, and that is the speed at which you uh, can keep it in the air uh, the longest. You're maximizing your lift and and the distance that you can stay in the air. Sully obviously knew what it was uh, for that aircraft, and he hit that and and then just went for the center line down the middle of the river. So the plane uh, uh, came to rest uh, in the water. Actually, it, it, it came in at about 125 knots, which is uh, equivalent of about 140 uh, 40 miles per hour, roughly opposite of uh, 50th Street on the west side. The two of you were in the on-air studio at 57th Street in the west side of Manhattan. Uh, and let's listen to how it sounded on the radio station. So what if I want to buy a skimboard? Skimboards, we got them. This just in to the WCBS Newsroom. There is an aircraft down in the Hudson River. WCBS reporter Rich Lamb joining us live. And we're watching now as uh, some ferry boats, those small commuter ferries on the Hudson River, uh, have surrounded that aircraft. Uh, it is floating in the water. We'll, we'll play more of that, but do you remember that moment? Oh, so vividly. I mean, yeah, the the thought that there was a plane in the Hudson River, the first thing you're thinking of is, this has got to be awful. It's got to be catastrophic. There, we're going to be doing this very painful story now about bodies and wreckage. And the reason I remember it is because it didn't turn out that way at all. Right. And it, it was it was something we could actually feel good about when the day was over. Well, remember, there had never been a successful water landing of a large aircraft 
in this type of, of scenario. I mean, aircraft have tried to ditch in the water. Jetliners have tried to ditch in the water. It just doesn't work. There are too many varia- uh, variables uh, that can lead to disaster. Um, you guys are being very news- newsish about it, and I want you to be real people about it. Do you remember going, oh, my God? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I remember... Um, and, you know, the, this is sort of pulling the curtain back. I think I, I said earlier that pe- uh, somebody from the newsroom came into my office and said, we're getting phone calls of a plane down. And then, uh, you know, I sort of sauntered out into the newsroom to see. And then we got more calls and more calls. And the first thing we thought to do was um, go on the television screens there. There was always a static uh, camera of the Hudson River. We thought, well, maybe they'll, they'll be able to get it. And actually, there's a control for that camera in the traffic center that they can turn it. And so if it's in a certain point out of the view, they could turn the camera. And that's what they did. So by the time we turned the channel, we saw the plane in the river immediately. Right. And that was the real holy crap moment yeah. when we said, there it is. There really is a well, plane, uh, not just a little plane, a, a large. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I got to tell you, when I first heard there was an aircraft down in the water, like Wayne said earlier, um, my heart sunk because I know the history with, with trying to ditch in the water. But as soon as we got that picture, you know, the famous sight of the, the plane floating and people seemingly standing <laughs> on water when, in fact, they were about, what, ankle deep, uh, standing on the wings. Yeah. Um, as soon as I saw that, I, I did certainly have a glimmer of hope. So listen to this. And we can clearly see that the windows on the flight deck appear to be unbroken and uh, the doors are open on the side. Whether that means they got people out of there, we can't tell. We do see. It does appear as though uh, some people are walking on a platform, perhaps. I'm not quite hmm. sure what that is. We've been told this is almost certainly an Airbus A319 or an A320 with U.S. Airways. We're trying to pinpoint the location in the Hudson River. We have reports now of somewhere in the area between Piers 88 and 92, a U.S. Airways uh, jet. To set the scene, the plane is either settled or it's floating. Well, they're turning it now. They it are seems. turning it. They're using. There are, uh, yeah, there are, are there, boats we, to turn the plane in the water. This aircraft must have come in uh, fairly soft and landed in the water. It's it's amazing. If if that's what happened, this. This pilot did an, an incredible job. If say he lost power, we don't know what happened here. But that that's minutes after this plane landed. That's before 4 o'clock at night. Um, and you guys have collectively wrapped up that story seeing a picture on TV. I mean, you got to feel good about that. Absolutely. I mean, the resources we had from that one camera to Rich Lamb and his expertise and, and long knowledge, and yours too, Steve, and Peter, yours, when you, were, when you had eyes on the situation. Well, my situation, I was blissfully ignorant. I was probably <laughs> 10 blocks away. It was right before the inauguration. Slow day. I'm going to do a story about this new armored car the president is getting. So there's an armored car store on 11th Avenue, and I'm sitting there, radio off, I'm working, you know, whistling Dixie to him. <laughs> And I hear some fire engines. It's New York City. At some point, I'm not sure why I heard about this. I turned on the radio. Somebody called me. I don't remember. I go over there, and I see this plane in the river. And there is an NYPD helicopter. I mean, I don't know, 20 feet above the water, 30 feet above the And there are scuba divers jumping in. And that is my, like, holy cow. It's like... The recruiting videos, you see they're jumping in the water, and there's the airplane. But 
there's nobody on the wing. Hang on. CBS reporter Peter Haskell is at the scene now. Peter, you can see this. Tell us what you know. The plane exploded. It's facing east. We can see the nose. We can see the tail. We can see the left wing. So those are all good things. There are a number of vessels out there. Many of them are New York waterway ferries. There is a tugboat. There is a circle line boat. We saw one circle line leave with a number of firefighters. We've also seen divers dropping out of helicopters very low to the water. And I know, Steve Scott, this is one of your favorite yeah. memories, and I'm going to play it now. Hang on. A couple of witnesses I've spoken to say that it appeared as if the pilot was trying to bring down the plane. The nose uh, was not down. It was not any kind of crash landing, but it basically came in on its belly. And the way the one witness described it is like if you're at a water park and you hit the bottom and the water comes flying up over whatever kind of a vessel or vehicle that you're in, it comes right over the top, and that's what happened here. I'm a little out of breath. I'm actually uh, running south trying to get a look as this airplane continues to drift south in the Hudson River, guys. All right, so I'm going to make a confession, okay? You talk about... All the resources here, the TV, the cameras, the AP wire, the phone calls. When you're a reporter, you're standing out there and you you see what you see and you talk to the people and that's it. So at that point, I did not know if there were still people on the plane. So that's why I was running with the plane trying to figure out are there still people there well i mean the hudson river everybody should remember is not a river it's a tidal estuary and the tide was going out heading out south and it was south and it was a fast it was like six and a half knots that tide was going out and it was carrying the airplane down the river and here's poor peter having good thing you're a runner ignorant not knowing the plane is empty having to run well no but still having to run you know alongside just to to keep up with it that i mean besides the big picture of of the the amazing fact that everybody survived you having to chase the darn airplane at six knots down the river (laughs) and you were at what street about that time do you think so i i started up uh, probably uh in the upper 40s and ended up close to Chelsea Piers. So it's, you know, like 20, 25 blocks. So within about less than half an hour, they had gotten all the people off of that plane. And yeah. the, From the time it hit the water, and, and by the time you saw it floating down, everybody had been rescued, which is unbelievable. Right, so the memory I have is this woman describing the log flume because it gives you a visual picture that most of us have seen. Log flume comes down to the water park, and then we ended up getting that surveillance video. And you know what? That's exactly what it looked like when you saw that camera on the water. Nose came, nose was just slightly up, hits the water, the plane on its belly, water flies up, and it stops. And Steve, you're you're someone who is an aficionado of the Hudson River, living right across from Manhattan, working in a studio where you're seeing the boat traffic. Yeah. There were a number of ferries that actually were on the water, and with a, within a, a matter of minutes, all of those companies came together, and it was a collection of folks in the rescue. It really was. I mean, they came from literally every direction uh, to the boat, and they, uh, you know, the people were standing on the wing um, wings. A few people had actually gone into the water, had jumped into the water, but they got everybody out of there, and 
the plane never did sink. It, it eventually floated all the way down. They finally corralled it. Uh, you mentioned I, I live right along the Hudson in Jersey City. I walked out the next morning, and I could see across the river. It's tied up there in Battery, um, you know, Battery Park City. So, uh, you know, there are just so many amazing things about it. Can I, and if I can go back to the tide for a moment. The tide was going out. If the tide had been coming in at six and a half knots, and this plane had come in and belly landed on a tide coming in at that pace, I don't think we could have had this this outcome because there would have been too much friction there. So it just wouldn't have worked. I never thought about that. Two things I want to do. One, I want to bring in a piece of sound that occurred later in the evening. Uh, authorities got together sometime uh, one of the ferry terminals on, on the west side, Chelsea right, Pier. The, in that area. the waterway the, ferry. Uh, yeah, the waterway. The, the, the mayor, the governor, emergency service people uh, had a news conference uh, out there. And just sort of from a media perspective, you wonder how some stories get the moniker uh, they do. Um, this is then- Governor, acting governor, David Patterson, who uh, was invited to speak by uh, the mayor at the time. Upon information and belief, uh, there is an heroic pilot who saved himself and approximately 154 other passengers this afternoon. We've had a miracle on 34th Street. I believe now we've had a miracle in the Hudson. So David Patterson gets the credit for that. Yeah, you know, you, you when you're a reporter and you go to these types of things you're always looking for that soundbite that either wraps up all the important information or really seems to capture the moment that captured the moment yeah um what were you going to say steve i i I was just thinking of of hearing from governor patterson and and mayor bloomberg and remember the old video of when man landed on the moon walter cronkite was on on cbs and he takes off his glasses and he's got this kind of giddy just amazed look i remember thinking to myself feeling kind of the same way that how could this terrible event have have ended with this this good outcome with everybody surviving and i you know wearing the glasses that i have here i, I think i kind of like oh, my goodness i don't believe this here here's a uh, another tentacle to the story that uh, i had some personal involvement with and you guys are involved in it as well on the air in the middle of all of this in the newsroom that afternoon uh we're covering the story we're sending reporters we're trying to figure out if anyone was hurt that kind of thing i get a call on my cell phone from a, a friend and then i got a second call from my wife and said hey have you heard anything from about the people on the plane ob was on the plane ob is a very good friend of mine who uh, grew up in pearl river uh, we were fast friends, uh, you know, early on, and um, were summer friends down in uh, down the Jersey Shore. Had beach houses together for a long, long time, and they moved. Their family moved down to North Carolina, but he had business here regularly. He was a regular commuter, the kind that when you got on the plane, all the flight attendants would know you by your first name, uh, and he was on the flight. Uh, so uh, we, his wife was calling, the friends were calling, can you find out where they took uh, the people on the plane? They're trying to find out how OB was. Later on that afternoon, somebody found out that he had gotten a phone, got a message to his wife, Karen, and, um, and he was okay. But he had a story to tell. And I reached out to him by phone, left a message on his cell phone, and the next morning coming to work, I was driving to work, and he calls me on my cell phone, and he was telling me the story of it. 
And the reason I think he was talking to me a little bit more than anybody else is that he knew me. We were very close friends at the point where I had a little issue on a plane once. I was on a on a on a cr- aircraft at Kennedy Airport in 1992 that took off. I was on the air that day too. <laughs> yeah, what another, Tim's on the plane? That's another podcast. That is ex- <laughs> exactly right. So I so he sort of felt like a little connection to me. Well, just uh, explain what happened in your plane. You skipped that part. Oh, well, it was taking off. Of, it was an L-1011. It was hundreds of people on board, maybe two or three hundred people on board. It, it was uh, fully loaded, headed for California, uh, and it started to take off, got off the ground. And at that point, Steve, what's a plane going when it's taking off like that, 180 miles yeah, an hour somewhere or in like the, that? Yeah, somewhere in the, the hundreds. The pilot saw oh, something hundreds. he didn't like, and he put it back down on the deck quick. Uh, and because he didn't want it to get in the air, he was concerned. And it snapped the fuel lines, and the plane went on fire immediately. So we're hurtling down the runway, plane's on fire, uh, and it comes to a stop before it hits, uh, gets into the water at uh, um, in Jamaica Bay. Uh, is that Jamaica Bay off? Kennedy? I think so. Yeah. Uh, and um, everybody got off. It was uh, the quickest wide body evacuation in, in aviation history at that point. But it was a hell of a story to tell, and uh, and ended up telling it on the air. I just remember some of the, <laughs> the producers saying, oh, you got uh, Tim Sheldon on the line. I'm like, oh, he's covering it? No, he's on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> so OB uh, uh, knew that, and he sort of said, well, if anybody knows where I'm going through it right now, and he went through a much more dramatic thing. So anyway, I, I did an interview with him, and this is what it sounded like. This is a couple of minutes worth the next morning. For anyone who has wondered what it's like to be on a plane in danger of crashing, Steve O'Brien can tell you it is a range of emotions. Yeah, he's a Rockland native who was returning home to Charlotte yesterday when U.S. Airways Flight 1549 headed for a watery landing. A calm voice came on on the uh, speaker, just as calm as can be, as if they were saying, you know, brace, you uh, fasten your seatbelts, and it said brace for impact. And at that point, there was uh, more despair and, like, weeping and a little um, uh, sadness overtaken the plane um, and praying and uh, at that point I-, I was still almost in disbelief I was strangely calm and I-, I couldn't get my mind around it that these you know I'm just thinking that these things don't happen and um, then realization that we're, we're going to crash and the fact the realization that um, I was going to die and um, you know sad and um, angry and disappointed and I was thinking of, of Karen and the kids, my wife and kids, and uh, uh, strangely just thinking about stuff at the house that needed to be done. And um, really, I guess you think about um, uh, the world without you in it is what I was thinking about. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) That's That's emotional just to listen to it 11 years later. Right. Yeah, and and, and those are the stories that... um, you know, that you don't hear about when you talk about the miracle on the Hudson. Uh, you've got a plane full of people. And to this day, there is a closeness uh, between the folks that were on the plane. I know OB's got lifelong friends that he, he gets together with uh, on, on a regular basis. Was he hurt at all? I he, know there's a lot of hyper. Was not, it, was, it was like, what, the 19 degrees outside yeah. and 40 degrees in the water? So his story is a bit funny because he talks about, um, you know, the plane landing and then there's silence and a really weird eeriness in the plane and then uh, the doors opening over the wings and... Uh, he was pretty close to where one of the wings was, and he followed uh, a woman in front of him out onto the wing, and people were jumping into the water. And so he's like, all right, 
and he jumps in the water and the guy behind him said, I'm not jumping in the water. And the guy behind him said, I'm not jumping in the water. And like there were five people that jumped in the water and one of them was OB. And so he says, I wish I was smarter and I wish I let somebody go in front of me because he was not hurt. He obviously... Um, well, that had to be cold. Oh, it was very cold. Man. Um, and the, the one story about... Well, there are many, but I mean, OB remembers somebody from, from the flight crew taking their coat off and putting it around him. So somebody's, you know, and so he got, when he got to the shoreline in Weehawk in one of the ferries, he was wearing one of the coats of crew. And the story about Sully is uh, he did not leave that plane until he went back and forth several times to make sure that there were no passengers on there. That helped submit the, the legend of Chesley Sullenberg, that little detail that he was going to make sure nobody was there he's a real lifer though steve you've met him you've talked yeah. to him yeah he i mean absolutely i mean he's a military guy and you know he comes from the background of uh you don't leave anybody behind and you know also there's a thing that the you know the captain should the cap whether it's a ship or a, an airplane or whatever i mean it's it's the the captain's vessel and it's their responsibility and i think he had that feeling of personal responsibility that I need to make sure that there is nobody left here. Cause we didn't know that he didn't know the plane wasn't going to sink at that point. And, um, you know, and, and as Tim said, he went up and down the aisle then he went up and down the aisle again, uh, just to make sure, uh, at, at, you know, great risk to himself. So. It was more than his skill of landing the plane. It was his calming presence as your buddy OB described making the very calm announcement, prepare for impact. And when you hear the initial tape you played of him on the radio with the controllers, the professionalism, as I said before, of everybody is so reassuring. I mean, nobody wants to be in that situation, but if you are, you want to have a team like that and you want to have Sully at the helm. Well, yeah, the guy at LaGuardia uh, uh, departure was, was right on top of it, you know, first reaching out to Teterboro, getting a, a, a runway available at Teterboro. But you could hear Sully uh, first saying, yeah, we want to go there, and then you know, those uh, those immortal words will be in the Hudson. And the other pilots from other planes that were calling in and saying, he landed, he's in the Hudson, he's here, he's there. I mean, it's a collective, It, it I guess it uh, it takes a village of, uh, of folks, and there really was a village in, at, the, at the end of the day on this, right? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's rare to have a story like this end so well. So I think that's one of the reasons we all remember it fondly, because you don't really want to spend a whole lot of time thinking back at, horrible things that happen, even though they're huge news stories. But this one, it's fun to well, talk about. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, sure, there was there was uh, the Bell Harbor crash, or, you know, there, there have been other uh, plane crashes. But uh, you remember those, but you remember them for hor how horrible they were. But this one, when you think about it, and, and, you know, even the moniker, Miracle on the Hudson, um, that's what you remember, because that's, <laughs> that's what it was. And how many people really had a chance to see that you have these apartment buildings, these towers. The woman that I spoke to who talked about the log flume, I believe she was in one of those towers. So you've got people looking out their window. You've got people driving on the highway. You've got people walking and biking in the park and the ferry terminals and all these people witnessing this remarkable scene. Everybody's got their story about it really was a miracle. You know yeah. what would be different now, 11 years later? Everybody would have their cell phone out. <laughs> That's true. And there right. would be about 100 times more surveillance cameras. True. We'd right. see so many angles. We'd, we'd see selfies. 
people, you know he people would. with the play. <laughs> people holding up their phone. <laughs> well, you guys are great and as good a team as Sully had around him. Uh, you know, one of the things that's not lost on me, and I say it all the time, is the cool, calm, collective nature in which you guys and Rich all together uh, put the story out uh, to the listening public, and um, you know, it had a good ending, but it, it shows the professionalism in here, and, and so um, I, I honor you guys, because th- it's, it's something that I've used in journalism classes that I've said, listen to this, because reporting is all about what you see. It's not about fake drama, making things up. You guys were looking at a television picture, and and described it with award-winning accuracy and um i thank you for coming in and sharing the anniversary happy anniversary happy anniversary thank you thank you very nice great memories a couple of postscripts uh peter we talked about the the cause of this crash was a bird strike uh and in the months and years that followed the crash of uh, uh, Flight 1549, the city of New York uh, and the FAA undertook a pretty significant um, operation to rid the area around LaGuardia, specifically, uh, of geese. Um, they had geese extermination programs for years, and I think I saw one one story that suggested that over the course of many years that they've reduced the population by some 70,000 geese. And the postscript about uh, uh, safety. What, what can you tell us? So that flight had more life preservers and more flotation devices than was required by regulation. And so the NTSB in the aftermath made some tweaks to suggest that on certain flights or on more flights, there were these flotation devices just in case. Excellent. Peter, thank you. Bill Tynan, thank you for your technical assistance. And uh, Sully Sullenberger, thank you for your service. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.